Welcome back to the Max Out Show, where today I'm joined by one of the world's leading psychologists, Dr. Joan Rosenberg. As a best-selling author and a featured expert in several documentaries, Joan is a master at helping people build their self-confidence and increase their emotional resilience. And that's exactly what we'll talk about today. How to deal with unpleasant emotions, improve your confidence, and create a life that you love. So let's dive right in. I'm super excited to have you because I think it's just such a powerful concept. And I want to dive right in to this idea of emotional mastery. Sure. So for those of our listeners that haven't heard of that yet, can you share with us a little bit about what emotional mastery is and why it's so important to develop the skill? You know, think of, think of the capacity to be emotional, to have emotional mastery is being able to be responsive as opposed to reactive to something that you, that you actually have this sense of yourself as kind of a, a confident being and, and you feel kind of authentic on the inside and, and you can um, make choices based on that. And, and I also like to think about that as, as always coming from a positive, kind and well-intended place so that, so that somebody has emotional mastery is that they're, they're kind of, again, we, we're not a choice that we feel or, or what we feel per se, but we're at choice at how we respond to that, how we manage that when we experience it, and then how we express it. So um, think of somebody that is they can manage their feelings well, and then they're also very much at choice in terms of how, they can, how that gets expressed. Yeah, that's really such a powerful skill because one of the challenges I see in so many people is they're simply unable to deal with their emotions, right? So they, they have these emotions rise up, right? Whether it's frustration, anger, sadness, depression, whatever it is. And they don't right. know how to deal with it. And then oftentimes what happens is they try to kind of avoid it, right? They hide from it. They sort of hide under, you know, the covers of their bed and try to <laughs> literally right. do anything to suppress it. So, so as, as if that would work, yes. Yeah, right. As if that would work, right? <laughs> yeah. But um, obviously we know it doesn't. So can you share with us why that is such a problem if we try to suppress our emotions instead of actively dealing with them and engaging with them? You know what? The, the feelings don't go away. We always have memories that, uh, that, in terms of whatever those feelings were tied to, we always have a kind of a memory of that, so that they don't they don't go away. And and per se, that and you know, it, but it, it's it's not until that we make sense of them and, and we allow ourselves to experience them, do we have the quality of of mo moving through them and then they dissipate. So when we don't deal with them and and we just are in avoidance then I think it takes us down what I, a path of what I call soulful depression. And there's a number of different things that, that happen on the way to that experience. Uh, with, so I, what I see is in what, what people just would describe as kind of anxiety. So increased anxiety, I see more depression. Uh, and, and again, it's not the clinical depression that, that psychologists will diagnose, but it's a, there is a depressed, depressed quality I'll see um, people feeling like they have less control, they feel more vulnerable. I'll see uh, people start to complain about physical symptoms. So it's, it's actually not a very pretty picture. And, and later, if that persists over a long period of time, what I'll, see, I'll hear people describe is that they feel kind of alienated and they feel isolated or they feel numb or they feel lonely or, or those kinds of things. So it, it, it's not, again, that the path that one follows when they shut down and try to avoid feeling is not a pretty picture. Yeah, there's, there's so much stuff I want, I want to touch a little bit more on. And, sure. and, and really, um, later on, we're going to talk about soulful depression also. But first, what, what I find so fascinating about human nature 
is we do so many crazy things to avoid feeling bad in the moment, right? Like oh, yeah. if, you, if you just think about, you know, alcohol and drugs and movies and, and social media and all of this stuff that's literally designed to give us these quick hits, right? Of feeling right. good of yep. dopamine, yep. just yep. so we can sort of forget about our problems for a moment. But, but as you, as you sort of, you know, mentioned before, we always come back to it, right? It, the problems don't disappear. The negative emotions or unpleasant emotions don't disappear from our lives. And no, so they don't. They actually, I think of, and I think of, uh, and the way the research literature talks about things is that, is that unpleasant feelings exist because they're protective in nature. So, you know, that was our, that was our way to signal to ourselves, hey, uh, move away from that. Right, but we've taken it to an extreme in our own lives, and it's a, that was you know that was probably when we were facing the tigers and the lions. Right, mm-hmm. uh, it's like it's like avoid, move away, yeah. and and uh, but it's so that they still exist and they are still protective in nature. Except we, most people start to classify them as bad or negative. I don't consider unpleasant feelings bad or negative because I know they're protective. So I, I'd rather people kind of shift their own mindset around that one as a starting point and go, wait a minute, this is here for me. Um, and and what, what it allows someone to do is to feel like a, a more whole, and I mean W-H-O-L-E, more whole and authentic person, as opposed to um, like half a person because they're trying to cut off half their feeling state. Yeah, that's such an important point. And I have to admit, I sometimes struggle with this too, right? Because I think the natural human tendency is we always want to feel good, right? We always want to feel 100% happy, but the reality is it, it doesn't really work, right? No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. And, and so I think but- it's so important to, to, like you mentioned, really accept the fact that, you know, those unpleasant emotions are also part of life and part of, as you mentioned, like being a whole person, right? Part of living a right. life. Right, right. And, and in fact... When we, when we try to cut off, um, we actually, I think that, again, that's when I see more anxiety. I, and I think that people don't feel comfortable in their own skin when they're trying to shut out half their experience. So, so what are the most common emotions that you see people trying to suppress? Is it mostly, you know, sadness or anger? What are sort of the most common ones? You know, I, I look at it from the standpoint of, uh, I talk about eight. Over all the years that I've been working with people, that there there were about six to eight really common reactions to things, and and so all my work is centered around someone's ability or someone's capacity to experience and move through eight unpleasant feelings, and and so that there there are unpleasant feelings or feeling states. So there uh, there are sadness, shame, helplessness, anger, vulnerability, embarrassment disappointment and frustration and it's and and many people will say hey like why why are the why those why aren't some other ones there and i i've chosen those because they're the most common spontaneous everyday reactions to things not turning out the way we believe we need or the way that we want yeah i find it so fascinating and i think one of the struggles is we often like those things we oftentimes don't talk about, right? So, so people oftentimes say, oh, I'm anxious, right? But we don't actually specify how exactly we're feeling. And I think that's, that's one of the main struggles that we're facing, right? And actually the right. other day, I read some research that shows just, just naming our, our unpleasant emotions actually lessens the impact, right? Because you become more aware of right, that's how right. you're actually feeling. That's right. And it actually helps us, when we name it, it actually helps us regulate it. 
So, so it, it helps us be more at that choice about how, kind of what to do and how to handle as opposed to um, being reactive. So yeah, name, naming it more specifically actually makes a big difference. I watch people calm down when they name it more specifically. Yeah, that's so interesting. And so in order to do that, the first step is really awareness. So we yes. have to become aware and we have to you know, acknowledge that, hey, I'm feeling this way. So how do you help people do that when, you know, just kind of like, I just feel bad, right? That's sort of the usual thing. It's like, I feel bad, right? I wake right. up Monday morning, I go to work, I'm, uh, so I'm not feeling good, right? But like, right. how exactly do you really specify it and learn to really, you know, put sort of a name on it? So, uh, well, the, the thing I would say is, even if somebody is waking up and, and going, I feel bad, I would, I would encourage someone not to stop at that point. So, so think of words like bad or anxious are, as being way too general and way too vague. And, and so that it, just, it just allows you to put like this big umbrella over something and then, and then not, not be intent on discerning what's really going on. So, so my thing is, if you're using general words like that, then, then take it the next few steps further. It's like, all right, well, what more specifically is going on for me? What, what, if I were, in fact, if I were to choose from those eight feelings, if it's something that's, that's unpleasant, it's on the, in quotes, the bad side, then start with just the eight feelings I talk about. And, and just ask yourself, am I experiencing one or more of those eight feelings. Then you want to stay present to the feeling and identify how, what, what triggered this? What is it connected to? And, and then if, to see also if there's anything from the past that might be linked to what's going on. So is there something from the past that this also links up with? So we can all, so once we're aware of something, we, we can take, we can use questions to take ourselves deeper into the experience and see if we can make sense even more fully about what's going on. Love that. So, so the first step of really transforming this and mastering your emotions for our listeners again is not suppressing it, not avoiding it, not running away from it, but actively engaging with it. Asking yourself those hard questions of where it's, does this come from, right? How am I so, actually feeling? Which exact emotion is it? And then right. the second step is actually transforming that. And you know, your colleagues have lovingly called this the Rosenberg Reset. Right. So right. Can, you, yeah. <laughs> can you share with us a little bit about how exactly we can take those emotions once we yeah. are aware of what we're feeling and transform them? Yeah. Well, it's the the way the the Rosenberg reset. Yeah, a colleague did name it, and uh, it's the it's called it the it's sort of a formula. So I think of it as one choice, eight feelings, ninety seconds. So the one choice is the one we've been talking about. It's actually awareness as opposed to avoidance. And you were right. You named a bunch of ways we can avoid, and we actually can avoid feeling by being harshly self-critical. We can avoid feeling by being uh, anxious. We can avoid feeling by having feelings about having feelings. So there's, there, there are so many different ways. There's, it, I mean, there's so many elegant ways for us to do this. Uh, we, we can avoid feelings by being too busy, right? So, uh, or, so there's, again, there's just so many different ways to avoid. But the, the key that I want people to do is to lean into feeling and that means being as aware of and in touch with as much of your moment-to-moment -moment experience as possible. So choose awareness. That's the one choice. The, the second part of the eight feelings, which I've named, and again, there's sadness, shame, helplessness, anger, vulnerability, embarrassment, disappointment, and frustration. It's just, they're, again, they're common. They're everyday, spontaneous reactions to what's taking place. 
those are the ones I want you to pay attention to the most if, on the unpleasant side. Most of us do pleasant feelings well, so I don't have to help people with that. <laughs> uh, and then, and then the, the 90 seconds part of the formula in terms of being able to help you stay present to feelings is, is to understand that most of us experience fe emotional feelings through bodily sensation. So think about the heat at your face when you get embarrassed, right? And other, other people might see redness because you're flushing, but, but you might feel the heat of everything coming into your face. Or many people will describe sadness as kind of a, a downward experience in the middle of the chest, um, and then a little bit of pressure or something like that. So disappointment or sadness might be located that way. Uh, and people experience anger in, in a lot of different ways. They might have a tight jaw, they might get heat in their arms, heat at the back of the neck. I mean, again, the key that I want you to understand is that, and because I really wrestled with why unpleasant feelings were so hard to experience for people, it was understanding that it's, the, it's because first, we experience feeling through bodily sensation. And what dawned on me is that it's the bodily sensation we can't stand. That's why we don't wanna to move towards the unpleasant feeling. It's because we don't want to move toward the, the bodily sensation that yeah. helps us know what that feeling is. Uh, so that the other part of this then is to understand that feelings, the experience of a feeling is actually very short-lived. It's transient. Uh, and Dr. Jill Volte-Taylor likes to talk about it as being uh, a, a, like an upward range of around 90 seconds. So we get this rush of biochemicals into our bloodstream, that's what activates those bodily sensations. And then the same biochemicals flush out of the bloodstream in roughly 90 seconds. So the key for handling feelings and allowing yourself to transform them, one, stay aware, understand it's just a few that you need to handle. And then the third is to understand the way to handle them is to ride one or more bodily, short-lived bodily sensation waves. And that's, that's how you stay present to it. And then once you're present to it, then you can move into those deeper questions we were talking about a little bit ago. Well, this is really such a fascinating thing. And I really want to highlight this point that you just made here about, you know, what we can't stand is the bodily sensation, right? The bodily reaction that we have to an emotion, like, right. like you know, fist clenching or that, like, you know, you know chest kind of you right. know, feeling weird, right? That's usually how I also feel negative emotion. And that's so fascinating. Right. And it rings so true, really. Yeah, no, that, I mean, for me, it was a, it was like a profound insight when I, when I had it, it's like, oh, this is what's tripping people up. It's this, that they don't want to know the bodily sensation that helps them know what they're feeling emotionally. That's what people are running away from. And if I could find a way to help people handle it, then, then they could move towards and lean into the feeling and then their life would be so much more full and it does as soon as you start to lean into the feeling and all you have to do really to stay present is to take deep breaths just slow deep breaths to stay present to what's going on and that that kind of holds you into the feeling so that you can then stay with it and then it will it will dissipate because then because then you're doing the thinking elements around it to go all right what's going on how come this came up and sometimes we can figure it out and man, most times we can't, and other times we can't. That's all right. Then just let it pass. Uh, but but that's <clears throat> that was really the the key to helping people be able to to stay present to the feeling and and to lean into it.
as opposed to run away from it. Yeah, that's really such a fascinating thing. And, and so I, I just had this the thought, and I'm really curious to hear your idea about it, because uh, what, one of the theories that I have is that, like, you know, athletes in general um, are really good at, or, or better, I guess, than the average population at managing their emotions. Um, and so with, with you know, the, the things that you just mentioned, do you think that could be part of, because they're so used to, you know, feeling physical pain and discomfort, that and also, you know, the, the sort of, physical discomfort that comes from negative or unpleasant emotions is, um, is also just more common. Do you think that could be? Uh, you know what I would, uh, that, that may be a piece of it, but I also can see where athletes shut down on their physical pain, right? That's In order sure. to continue playing, you have to shut down on pain. So, so I don't, uh, there's a, I don't know that I would say that that's the key to it. It may be at play because mm -hmm. they're, they have to be so aware of their body. Um, and that that might make a difference in terms of uh, what they're doing with it. I actually think what they're doing on a on a on a mental or a, a cognitive level is probably where most of the action is. Now, if you think about if think if you think about an athlete that is training for um, days, weeks, months, and years, and and not only in the practice sessions and the workouts. But also when they're, they're, whatever their game day is, whether it's running track or whether it's a, a literal game, uh, like a, a team game kind of thing, or a tennis game, doesn't matter what it is, um, that, that athletes face disappointment frequently. Wow. And, in order, and in order to be able to play at a high level, you've got to be willing and open to to experiencing those losses and experiencing those disappointments at taking them on the chin and moving on. And, and that's the, that's where we see not only the ability to stay present to the feeling and not let it overrun them. It doesn't become a permanent, Oh, we're disappointed. Now it's a permanent decision to not go forward in this. It's like, no disappointment is part of the game. Yeah. Right. And so it's, it's, they have the athletes, have the the ability to experience disappointment or sadness or frustration or or, or helplessness right any of those those feelings i've talked about and be able to continue to stay in the game no matter what so so it's the mental game around handling the disappointments that i think make the big difference for athletes yeah, absolutely agree with that. And there's this, you know, really common notion in many conversations that I have with, you know, really elite athletes on this podcast, where they all say that, you know, basically athletics was their school for life, right? It was the way that they learned about life, the way, like you mentioned, they learned about failure, yes. about adversity, about, right. you know, physical, mental, emotional pain and discomfort, right? And so I totally agree with what you just said, that like, this is really great way to practice those real life things then. Absolutely, because once you face those disappointments, you know, and, and again, in order to perform at a high level, you have to be willing to build that into everything you're doing. So, so that I mean, that's that's fine. They, so they they get it, and then they can to just take what they've learned in whatever sport or whatever athletic endeavor they were they were working at. All they have to do then is apply it to the rest of life. All right, I didn't get that job, so I'll go for a different one. Yeah. Right. So it's it's that same kind of resilient mindset. Yeah, there's always another game, always another opportunity, always another exactly. shot. Yeah. Hmm. Exactly. Yep. Now, now one thing I've been literally dying to ask you is 
uh, one of the most common themes that have sort of emerged in my conversations with like elite athletes is using the dark side to motivate themselves using, you know, those unpleasant emotions of maybe it's anger, maybe frustration, maybe even helplessness um, right. to instead of, you know, put themselves down, lift themselves up. And so I'm going to give you an example. So what I started doing actually is I started writing this list with, you know, sort of all the people that want to see me fail in life, right? All of the people that have, you know, put me down of this, you know, people that have made fun of me in the past because in those moments when, you know, I'm tired and when, you know, I wake up before 4 a.m. and like, I just literally just want to stay in bed, right? And I look at a list, I'm like, I've got to do this now, right? I've got to prove them wrong. In these like short and intense spurts and or moments of life. Um, so do you think from a psychological perspective that we should or could use those things? Or do you think over the long run it would be more detrimental to sometimes lean more into that dark side of, you know, anger, frustration to motivate ourselves towards our goals? Um, we can we can use that. I would probably change up a little bit of, of what you're saying that you're doing, but um, but yes, we can definitely ha use those reactions to motivate us. So it's like so. Let's say I didn't let, using your your athlete example. Let's say I didn't perform as well on a, on a given day, and and I'm and I'm angry. It's like and disappointed. Uh, but notice I'm just saying angry and disappointed. I'm not saying angry and disappointed in myself. Mm -hmm. There's a difference. So, so, but let's say I'm angry and disappointed that it turned out that way. And, and so what I can do is to, is to use that experience and go, you know what? Uh, I didn't, I didn't, uh, I didn't practice as hard the day before or the all week I kind of blew off my practice. So, so I'm going to use the fact that I'm angry and disappointed now to actually go, you know what, I got to, I got to step this up. And, and then what you're doing is you're, you're taking those, those, if you will, those more unpleasant or darker reactions and, and you're using it to motivate you and go, all right, I'm going to, I'm, I'm the key here is the perseverance aspect. I'm not going to let this stop me. I'm going to use this to move me forward and holding those attitudes makes a huge difference in terms of then turning that into positive motivation. So, so part of this is the, it, what, part of what's really important here is also the beliefs and the attitudes that someone holds. But, but the, the thing I wanna challenge you on, Max, is, the, is this notion of proving someone else wrong. And, and I, would, I would rather have you approach everything you're doing from what's driven inside of you than to show somebody else because because then there's i don't want you relying on someone else's view of you no matter what it was or what you think it is now i don't want that to be the driver for you i would rather have whatever whatever is valuable and whatever is or high value and important to you i'd rather have that be the driver uh, and as opposed to what kind of past experience stuff, if, if past experience stuff was the thing that actually was the, the motivator for you to get started, then in, in whatever you're doing now, I would say, great, now set that in the dust and, and, and put it behind you and go, everything else is, is, uh, at choice for me. Cause that, again, think of it as an emotional mastery piece. If you're doing it in reaction to someone else, then it's you don't have emotional mastery over it. If you're do if you're clear that you're doing it for yourself because that's where you want to go, now it's emotional mastery.
Yeah, I absolutely agree. And uh, thanks for pointing it out, by the way. Um, I think I have to clarify because not like the general motivation, of course, right? Right, um, right, right. So like 90, probably 9% of the time, I'm like motivated by like that vision and sure. stuff. So it's right. really just in these short moments that I found it incredibly useful. Um, but you're right. And I agree that it's probably not the healthiest thing, I guess, psychologically to do. Um, I've just found personally that it really helps me in those moments when like all I want to do is like lie in bed and quit and give up. They're like then it's like the like tiny little bit extra. Um, I got but what, which I understand, right? So and and I wasn't and I when I was saying I wasn't actually thinking that you were you were doing that, but yes, on a on a temporary basis, hmm. using dark using dark the kind of the darker reactions um, to motivate you is totally fine. The thing is, I would I, as I said, I just wouldn't want that be, to be the general approach. Yeah, exactly. Thank you for clarifying that. Because <laughs> yeah. that would be really bad advice if, if that was that's how it, how. It, <laughs> Yeah, sort of was delivered. So, so thanks for pointing it out. Yeah. Um, now, John, I'm real curious because oftentimes what I find, and you know, these these you know elite athletes or psychologists leading people have really you know changed the game. Is oftentimes they they come from a place where at some point in the past they you know struggled, they had some pain and difficulties with certain sure. skills, and yep. then learned to master sort of as an adaptation response. Yep. So was there ever a time in your life where you struggle with emotional mastery and like, I've got to figure this out? Or was that something that sort of, you know, came natural to you? Oh, uh, no, no, of course, of course. I, you know, in the end of the book, the 90 seconds book where all this is contained, I, at the end of the book, I talk about our wounds oftentimes being the portal or the entry into what we're destined to be. Right. So, so yeah, I started out from a difficult place. I was, when I was young, I, I was super shy and I was, ex uh, well, I, I like to say kind of exquisitely shy and exquisitely sensitive. Um, and I, I never, I especially never wanted to admit to the second one, but the truth was I was probably exquisitely sensitive. <laughs> and, and, the, and I felt really different and, uh, from my peers, felt like I didn't fit in, uh, which I know is a common experience for many. Um, and, and I would look over and, and see all my peers. I was alone and I would look over and see all my peers hanging together. And it was like, how come, how come I don't have friends like that? And, and how come I don't feel like I fit in? And how come they look like they're so confident and I'm not? Right. So I had wrestled with all those questions and, 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 and you know, am I likable? Right. And so uh, the common questions I think we all struggle with and, and then, uh, so, so what ended up happening from that is that the, the, I, it's like I, I was challenged by the question of what is it that helps people develop confidence? Wow. And, and so that that kind of percolated from, from very young, uh, you know, probably when I was really young, it wasn't conscious, but as I got older, it became very conscious to me that, that, that I was like, I got to figure this out because I, I don't like the experience that I'm having. So that talk, take about, talk about kind of dark reactions, mm -hmm. but it became an, an internal motivator. It's like, I got to figure this out. I don't want to live my life this way. And, and so that was kind of the question one. And then later professionally, the second thing that was motivating for me was, uh, was asking the question, because I, what I was noticing is that uh, difficult feelings, unpleasant feelings were really hard for people to tolerate. And it's like, what makes that so hard for people? And, and of course, that, that was part of my early life as well. It's like, I had a hard time dealing with unpleasant feelings because I was 
not in a good state for a while, you know, the, the, I gotten bullied, you know, had those experiences too. So uh, over across much of my early life. Uh, so it's like, I had to answer both those questions. It turns out though, that the answer to the second question about what makes it so hard to deal with unpleasant feelings answered the first question for me. Wow. So it's unpleasant, the ability or the capacity to deal with unpleasant feelings is the foundation of confidence. Wow, that's so interesting. I really want to dive deeper into that. But, but first of all, I, I think it's such a fascinating idea that basically oftentimes the, the way that we even find our mission sort of in life is by tackling exactly those things that in the past were holding us back, right? In the past Absolutely. were pulling us down and we're struggling with those disappointments and failures. And that then we decide, hey, now I've got to master this. And then once you master it, once you you know, you learn it in your whole life, you want to share it, right? Because you realize how powerful it really is. Right. So I love that story. Thanks for sharing yeah. that. You um, so you already, you know, touched on confidence before and you said, you know, emotions or learn to deal with negative or unpleasant emotions is sort of the foundation of confidence. Yes. So what are sort of the layers above that? How can we, you know, for someone in high school and college right now that maybe it's going through the exact same stuff, how can we sort of put the layers of confidence on top of that? A great, uh, the, such a great question. Such a great question. Um, the first thing is to understand that confidence is an inside job. It, confidence, uh, we, can get, we can be told we're, we're good and, and when we're being cared for as we are initially growing up. Does that help? Of course it does. If we have a foundation where, where someone has been warm and encouraging and, and praising and those kinds of things, that can make a, a, a huge difference. But but beyond that, think of confidence, developing confidence as kind of an inside job. It's it's not going to come from from someone else. The <clears throat> so so for me, the I, I would say there's several different things to look at here. And there really is a pathway or there really is a process for developing confidence. So, but but I, I wanna um I, I wanna kind of uh, kind of unpack some some myths, if you will. So that along the way as, as I talk about this. So the first thing is to understand that uh, what I said a moment ago, that, that the capacity to deal with unpleasant feelings is the foundation. And my definition of, of confidence is that it's, it's the deep sense, kind of so deep within your bones, the deep sense that you can handle the emotional outcome. And those are the two, most two key words, the emotional outcome of whatever you face or whatever you pursue. Wow. So the deep sense that you can handle the emotional outcome of whatever you face or whatever you pursue. That's my definition of confidence. So, so we've already talked, how, so how do you handle the feelings, the unpleasant feelings? We've already talked about that. That's one choice, eight feelings, 90 seconds. You wanna lean into, you wanna be aware of and in touch with and lean into as much of your moment to moment experience as possible. And then you ride one or more short-lived bodily sensation waves to stay present to the feeling. Uh, and then, you can, like I said, you can dig into it further. So that's, that's the first thing. That's the foundational piece. Then the second most important piece, and it would be the most important piece if, it weren't, if the first one wasn't the first, if the, if, the, if the dealing with the unpleasant feelings wasn't first, is learning how to speak up with ease, wow. to, be, to be assertive. And most, so, so it means is that, I, that I can say what I want to say to whom at the time I need to say it, 
But my caveat around this is that it needs to be positive, kind, and well-intentioned. Just because you start speaking your truth doesn't give you license to go be mean to other people and say, here, let me tell you what I think of you. you know, that's it's not, <laughs> not the a way good idea, works. especially to your boss. <laughs> no, exactly. So, but, but here's, here's the thing I want people to understand with this. Most people have the, in their mind that I'm going to be confident. Or I know myself and I'm confident, then I'll speak. That is not how it works. The truth is you develop confidence as you speak and through speaking. So, so it's, 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 it's not that you're confident first. Your confidence actually develops out of your action of speaking. And, and that's crucial for people to understand. And what I would also like people to understand in this is that speaking, uh, difficulty speaking up is not a speaking problem. Difficulty speaking up is a difficulty with unpleasant feeling problem. Wow. I, I literally have the chills right now because what, what you're just saying, this was literally the most life-changing thing I've done in my life, learning how to speak and just right. my mouth and <laughs> make words come out to exactly. my exactly. family, to my friends, to strangers, whatever it is. That is right. so powerful. It, it changes you. 100%. So, and so that once you realize you have that capacity, the whole world changes. It really does. Because it's, it's the first line in defense, but it's also the first line of connection. So, so, you know, and it's a matter of just then taking the risk. So this is, it has, it has huge implications. And I just, I, I could spend days talking about how important it is to speak up. So, so for me, that's the second most important thing, but it's understanding Again, that it's as you speak and through speaking, you develop confidence. It's not that you're confidence, confident first. So the, the third way then is to, uh, is to take action. So think of you want to develop a new skill. You want to learn how to sing. You want to learn how to play the piano you, or the guitar or play tennis or I don't care what it is. Weave. It, I don't care, <laughs> right? Uh, it's, but, but then it, the whole notion here is that is that you're again you're not confident and then you take the action it's as you take the actions you develop the confidence and you can see then why being able to handle unpleasant feelings first is the foundation because along the way of developing any mastery in those in that skill development in that action taking you're going to have to you're going to probably face frustration and, yeah. and disappointment so so that, again, that's, that's why that's step one. But it's part of the process then of developing confidence. So same thing, it's paradoxical. It's you're not confident first, and then, then take the action. It's as you take the action, you develop the confidence. Um, and, then, and then there's a few other things. There's, um, I, I think removing harsh self-criticism makes a huge difference in, in one's experience of confidence. And, and the other is the ability actually to take in compliments is, a, is wow. another way. So, so there's, there's several different kind of uh, layers, if you will, to our processes that one can engage in to develop confidence. Wow, you know, I, I love that so much. I really have to say, because I think this is game-changing for so many people that are listening to us right now. Because so oftentimes people tell me, oh, I just don't feel confident enough to do this thing, right? I'm not confident enough to speak in public. I'm not confident enough to approach random strangers. I'm not confident enough to do this thing 
But if they understand this thing, what you're just saying is that confidence is a byproduct of doing exactly those things. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Yes. Yes. Exactly. This is so key. And this is literally how I developed in my life. I was scared, like, <laughs> like crazy heart pounding. Right. I remember I was in, in Italy, like two years ago, didn't know a single person for two months. Right. And I, I just had to get to know people because I was bored to death. And like, I started approaching random strangers, literally just asking, you know, what's the way to go there? Or like, what's there to do? Right. And that's right. How, like in the beginning, I like sort of started this process of just reaching out to people. Right. And just right. learning right. to express myself. Um, so, I mean, you mentioned, yeah, you could talk about this for days, right? Um, <laughs> we don't have that long, but maybe you just for someone starting out, right? It's, it's, you know, in this moment where you and I once were, where we're just super shy and afraid of talking to people, what would be like the first step, the first thing you would tell them to do to get out of their shell and, and start building confidence by, you know, basically speaking up? Yeah, well, I, I that's the, that's the thing. It's uh, my thing is, uh, you know, and I, what I've done with people who've been in this kind of position is I would say it, it, it once a day, you start out once a day or you, or you give yourself a number um, throughout the day that you're going to, you're going to behave a little bit differently around speaking than you normally would. So, so maybe three, three or five times during the day, you're going to say something where you normally would have held it back. Wow. So, so my thing is pick a target. It doesn't, it can be a small target, one, three, five, whatever during, throughout each day. But the goal, but the, the key is that you're going to hit your goal of saying something you, where you would typically not say it. Um, and that, that puts you in a state of feeling vulnerable. And, and again, it's also understanding vulnerability is one of my eight and, and, and vulnerability is kind of this idea. I, well, I could get hurt. Yeah, but getting hurt is dealing with one or more of the other seven feelings that I talk about. Mm -hmm. So the only emotional outcome of you taking the risk to speak up is that you might experience one or more of the other feelings, other seven feelings. So that's how you handle vulnerability. That's how you take the risk. And, and so set a target, start small, and then you have to speak it that number of times where you normally would not have done. And that, starts, that just starts to get the ball rolling. Absolutely love that. Now, on the show, we always love to celebrate failures. So do you have a favorite failure in your life that sort of allowed you to step up your game, to become a better version of yourself, to learn more about yourself, to maybe even experience some unpleasant emotions and then learn how to deal with them? You know, I, I probably at early points in my life, I, didn't, I wasn't sure that I had the, uh, even the intellectual capacity to go for my degrees. Wow. Right? So, I mean, for my bachelor's, yes. Um, probably for my master's, yes. But as I was approaching doing my doctorate, uh, I don't know that I would consider it a failure, but I, but I, it, it was pushing beyond my own boundary. And it's like, I really, I really want this. I want to go after it. Uh, I think I'm capable of it, but, but I, so I don't know that I would necessarily call it a, a failure point, but it was a, a point of not feeling very sure of myself. And, <clears throat> and so it was putting, but I, it was, uh, not feeling very sure of myself and, and taking the risk anyway. Yeah, thank you for sharing that because I think this is so important because with all your amazing contributions to the field of psychology, personal development, um, to then be able to say, yeah, back then I didn't feel confident, right? I think that is so interesting. And for many of our listeners, there may be students right now, right? Maybe your bachelor's or master's, maybe PhD, and you don't feel confident um, to you know, just hear that, like, you know, even someone accomplished as you, can you know say this looking backward? I think is going to give a lot of hope. 
Um, uh, so yeah, no, yeah, no, it's, and again, it's the key is just being willing to take the risk. If something's important enough to you, uh, and, and despite what anybody else is saying about it, if it's important enough to you, go after it. Absolutely love that. Now, what brings you personally the most happiness in life? Well, uh, deep connections with people. Yes. Deep connections with people. I, I feel very grateful for and blessed by, by um, how things are unfolding and by the opportunities that I've been able to have. But the thing that gr brings me the greatest joy is, is connecting with others and being able to just enjoy their company, deep conversations, lots of laughter, lots of love. That's, that's what brings me the most satisfaction. Absolutely love that. <laughs> yeah. Now, we talked about a lot of different ideas, strategies, tools today. But if you were to sort of give our listeners one piece of homework that they absolutely have to start applying to their lives to really change how they view the world and their lives, what would that one thing be? You know what? I'm going to switch it up. Normally, I would say to be able to experience and move through those unpleasant feelings. And that, that really is the bottom line answer. But, but I think what's more important is, uh, or, or I'm going to say is equally as important to that, is I want people to stop being harshly self-critical. Wow. Uh, because, because the harsh self-criticism is exponentially uh, damaging to people. So, so it's not, so feeling an unpleasant feelings is not equivalent to, to what one does to oneself when someone's harshly self-critical. And, and so I, I said so that being able to experience and move through unpleasant feelings is, is, is like equals a one. Mm -hmm. And, and that I think of harsh self-criticism as equaling a hundred right wow it's yeah. it's i mean it's expensive i i don't even it goes be well beyond that yeah it, and and so the so the one thing that i would change and the other so the thing around this is to have people understand that in, in my world harsh self-criticism is a distraction from the unpleasant feelings the eight unpleasant feelings so, wow, so we're actually doing something worse to ourselves by avoiding that is that way way worse wow exponentially worse it, it takes us, it t just takes us down a dark spiral and, sure. and makes things considerably worse in, in one's life. So the, so again, I, the foundational piece, be able to deal with unpleasant feelings, but, but the thing that I'm going to really highlight uh, to, in terms of the answer to your question, the more specific answer to your question, it, it's really stopping the, the negative self-talk and the harsh self-criticism. It's got, it's got to end because of how exponentially damaging it is to the person. Yeah, I totally didn't expect that answer. And, and so, of course, there's, there's lots of layers, I guess, to, to this. But if you were just to share maybe one little intro thought or idea for how exactly we can sort of stop to be so harsh to ourselves, um, would there be one piece of advice that you could share with people? Yeah, let me, can I, can I, do I have time to give you a quick Oh, answer? I'd love that. All the time in the world. <laughs> I was, so I was, so I was doing an interview with somebody. And, and I was uh, like in the setting that we're in right now and I could hear him, but he couldn't hear me. And I'm watching him sitting on the other side and he's fumbling with all these cords. He's looking down. He's just oh. all over the place. And, and what I, so this, and this is how quickly it happens. So uh, what I heard come out of his mouth was I'm so embarrassed. Wow. Right. Right. Com common reaction makes yeah. sense. Right. And then um, what immediately followed was, I'm so stupid, I'm such an idiot. Oh. Right? Now, I'm cool on the other side. <laughs> <You're> just... <laughs> right? 
It is whatever it is. Yeah. So what? Technical difficulties. Who cares? I'm not judging it. But but you can hear just how quickly he went from an unpleasant feeling state, I'm embarrassed, I'm so embarrassed, to I'm such an idiot, I'm so stupid. And mm -hmm. and so I just want people to get that's how quickly it happens and and how easily it happens. But but the first the embarrassment is not damaging. Those second two comments, damaging. Yeah. So we make it much, much worse. Much, much worse. So the most important thing someone can do is to notice when you're using that kind of language and then stop yourself and try to kind of reverse course and go, all right, what, what unpleasant feeling or feelings were going on that felt hard for me to bear, to think about, or to know? And that's how you use, and that's how you start to practice stopping it, um, so that you re, you're redirecting, and just understand that that harsh self criticism is a thought hijack mm -hmm. of unpleasant feelings. Yeah, and it sounds like there's lots of practice involved, also, right? And, and learning to constantly catch yourself anytime you're saying those things to yourself, right? Yeah. And being like, no, actually, <laughs> I remember this interview, and I said, <laughs> right, I exactly. Yeah. exactly, yes. Yeah, so that's that would be my best recommendation. Absolutely love that. Thanks for sharing. Now, before I ask my final question, what's your favorite way to connect with listeners online? Any website, social media platforms, whatever it is? Yeah, no, I'd love it. Um, well, my website is drjoanrosenberg.com. In fact, if people want to get, uh, there's some elements of what we're talking about that are offered as a gift. So if they want to go to also to drjoanrosenberg.com uh, forward slash gift, then they can download some stuff. Um, the other is uh, I'm on social media. I'm on Facebook. There's a Facebook group called Love My Life. Uh, if they want to be part of that, it's all about kind of the uh, this whole approach that's outlined in my book, 90 Seconds to a Life You Love. And uh, so that uh, there's, uh, I'm on Instagram, Dr. John Rosenberg, LinkedIn, uh, pretty much is under that handle, Dr. John Rosenberg. So it's uh, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, and uh, there's two TED Talks that I did. Those are out, countless interviews. So I can, I, can, I can be found. And if they want <laughs> Now, final question. What does mental mastery mean to you? Probably right up the alley. <laughs> You're at choice with what you think about and how you think it, meaning the patterns of thinking. And, and mental mastery in my mind would be it's understanding that you are at choice with those two things because, uh, because we, we have the capacity to control what and how we think. Um, we're in charge of that to, to some degree and to a large degree. And, and the other part of mental mastery would be holding the kind of attitudes and beliefs that move your life forward in a positive, kind, and well-intentioned way. All right, guys, that's it for today. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you gained some valuable ideas, tips, tools, tricks, mindsets, belief systems that will hopefully inspire you to take your life to the next level. At the end of the day, guys, it's all about application. The only thing that's going to set you apart tomorrow from where you are today is how much action you take with those ideas that you gained. And so I really want to challenge you at this point to you know, not just listen to this passively to not just consume this you know passively just thinking about other things but to really 
take those lessons, take those ideas that you just gained and start applying them to your life. So really start taking action and sprinting towards those goals and those dreams that you have in your life. Now guys, at this point, I wanna ask you for a huge favor. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider heading over to iTunes and leaving a review as that helps me really grow the show and reach more people, impact even more people around the world. You know, if you have a family member, a friend, a loved one maybe, that you think could benefit from this content, please consider you know, sharing it with them, forwarding to them, as that helps us really build a community of like-minded people that are all about maxing out their lives. Now guys, with that being said, thanks so much for tuning in today. I really, really appreciate it. Stay strong and see you tomorrow.